critical mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach critical mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs, opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to Anthony Jenkins. Anthony is the former CEO of Barclays, but now the founder and CEO of a really interesting startup called 10X. Anthony, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Um, tell us a little bit more about 10X. What's the thinking behind it? Where does it come from? Well, I spent 35 years working in large financial services institutions around the world. And one of the things that struck me was, although there was a lot of technology in banks, it never really seemed to make that much difference didn't make the customer experience better. It didn't really lower costs for the bank. In many cases, just added additional costs. And it didn't really improve the reputation of banks with society. And these were issues I was grappling with all the way through my career. Uh, when I left Barclays, I began to look at what was happening, not only in the fintech scene, but also with the underlying technologies. And I became convinced that there was an opportunity to create the beginnings of a very different way of doing banking. And so we set up 10X to deliver the capability to do that. It basically is a full set of capabilities that a bank would need to operate. Uh, I like to think of it as providing better functionality than a neobank at lower cost than a big bank uh, and in a much more transparent way. And that's what we're building at 10X. Um, we're well on the way to having that platform built. It'll be largely built by the end of the year and then we'll be live into 2018. Fantastic. And welcome to startup life. How, how is the transition between big banking corporation to, to startup been? I noticed no tie now. I used to be in absolute awe of all of your tie sets. So uh, how's it working in a startup? Yeah, it's, it's great doing a startup. I mean, there's, there are many, many challenges. The, the big difference is you have a lot more time to think and frankly, a lot more freedom to act. So you're not encumbered by the past, whether that's you know the culture of the past, the reputation of the past, the cost structures of the past. On the other side, of course, you basically have to do everything yourself. So, you know, I look at the bank account every day. If we haven't got paper in the photocopy, you have to do all that stuff. So, personally, I find that quite energizing. So, it's, it's a really different and interesting career for me. But it's also one where, you know, I bring some of the things that I learned uh, from my old career into this. Some of them, of course, are um, you know, positives because, you know, you do have a certain understanding about how banking works and some of it you've got to leave you know at the door because in a startup things are very very different yeah well i guess with a new vantage point the the world looks quite different doesn't it it's uh, it's suddenly all opportunity in terms of doing it rather than restrictions do you notice that vantage point sort of changing how i guess how you can address some of these issues with what you're doing now with 10x right yeah i do and i, I think a lot about um other industries where you know there have been solidly entrenched incumbents who one day wake up and find that their business has basically imploded. And we all you know, can think of these examples, whether it's BlackBerry, it's Nokia, it's Kodak, Blockbuster. 
these companies were, you know, in their day, the leaders in their category. And then, you know, today, where are they? And, and that doesn't happen because, you know, management was necessarily, you know, poor or, or, or made bad judgments, but it's a lot to do with the sort of human condition. And if you're in a big incumbent, your view of the world tends to be quite linear. And your risk appetite is quite low because basically you know, you've reached a certain position in the organization and by most intentions you just want to sort of stay where you are and show a linear progression in the in the business. When something discontinuous comes along like a big technology shift, in the case of Blockbuster for example it was a broadly available broadband capability, then you're in a discontinuous world where that doesn't work anymore. And so there's a big difference between the sort of what I describe as playing not to lose behavior, which you see in a lot of big organizations with entrenched market positions, and playing to win, which is what you see in um, disruptive uh, startup type land, because it's a lot easier to play to win when you haven't got anything to lose. And so that's the sort of thinking that we've been bringing into 10x, which is if we really want to create a totally different type of banking, what does that look like? What does it look like for the customer? What does it look like for the bank? What does it look like for society? And the big reason why I'm doing this, because as you'll appreciate having done everything I did in my old career, there's lots of things I could spend my time on, is because I believe the world needs a better banking system. Um, post the crisis of 2008, we saw all the flaws in the system then. We need a better banking system. I believe we can build a better banking system with technology. If we have a better banking system, our economies will be more successful, our citizens will be more successful, our societies will be stronger and more prosperous. And in some ways, what I'm trying to do with Tenex is sort of catalyze a little bit of that. Um, we see great things happening in the fintech sector. We see some of the incumbents trying to respond. Uh, and I'm trying to, frankly, play my part. So rather than just sit around and kind of commentate, uh, I'm trying to play my part in catalyzing that change. Well, that's great. It's, uh, like I say, making a difference in the industry. It's sort of, uh, there's loads of opportunities there. I, I think one of the things that you just touched on about the, the technology, um, you know, I've seen you write about technology being able to play a, a large part in bringing about a much more personalized banking. Um, how do you think that can come about? In essence, um, banking for most people is, is a chore, right? It's a, it's a difficult painful, bureaucratic thing that people don't really want to spend their time on. But the paradox is that what banking enables in people's lives is incredibly important. So nobody wants to get a mortgage, but buying a house is a transformational life event. Small business doesn't really want to go to the bank to get a loan, but being able to buy equipment or hire more people or go into a new market is transformational for that business. I think sometimes the industry forgets that. Um, so the industry has basically built a set of products and services that work for the bank. They don't work for the time-poor end-user who really doesn't want to have anything to do with banking, but needs banking to do things that are important to them in their lives. And therefore, thinking back to how can we make the customer's life much simpler and much easier. And this is why I called the business 10x, because we know that from other areas of our lives, we only adopt new technologies or new things where there's a significant benefit. Um, and it can't just be a little bit better, right? So it can't be, you know, I can check my balance on my mobile phone. Well, yeah, fine, okay, that's good. Um, better than having to go to an ATM or phone somebody up, but it's not really transformational. So how can we create those transformational experiences for the customer? How can we take a 
you know, an onboarding experience, an account only experience, which for most banks is, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, stack of paper, you know, bring in your dog's birth certificate and so on. How do you take that and turn it into a sort of three to five minute experience, which is beautifully handled on a mobile device where all the documents are captured digitally? How do you archive data about the customer so that when they want to get a loan, all that data is readily available, the customer doesn't have to put more data in? How do you streamline every operational element of that so that loan can be provisioned instantaneously? Those are the sorts of things that we're, we're thinking about very deeply. And there are lots of analogs in our lives where you know accessing content, whether it's books, music, video, buying stuff, those things are all sort of now super seamless experiences in our lives and yet you know banking and financial services isn't so they're the sort of analogs that we're beginning to look at and think about and then beyond that there's a whole bunch of totally creative things that you can imagine that are much more about how people live their lives and how people operate at different stages of their lives you know the, the issue that we're dealing with today in society where younger people are finding it difficult to buy homes often are supported in some way by their, their parents or their relatives. How can we make that a much more seamless, interactive experience? How do we provide capability for people who share flats together, people who may want to start a business together? How do we bring all of that together in a way that's just as seamless as downloading your favorite app from the App Store? Mm. Well, that's you know huge aspirations in terms of doing it. In fact, you know one of the things that I see you've said is um, 10x will reduce the risk for society. You know, this is a this is a big goal. Uh, what do you guys mean when you say you're going to reduce the risk for, for society? I mean, one of the things that we think about is, is where does the risk sit in the banking system? Because um, firstly, risk is inherent in all activities of human life, but often it's misunderstood. And when it's misunderstood, it's then mispriced. And if it's misunderstood and mispriced, bad things happen, which is what happened in 2008. So firstly, it's about really understanding where that risk is and eliminating the so-called false positives in decisioning around that risk. So if you have almost perfect data about a person, you should be able to make a better credit decision. If you have almost perfect data about how that person's situation changes, you ought to be able to intervene more actively if they're experiencing financial difficulty. One of the things we know about human beings when they get into financial difficulty is they don't ask for help soon enough, right? Can we create much more predictive and diagnostic tools around that? On a much bigger level, um, because in my view, the changes we're going to see in financial services are just starting. In 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you could see one of some of the really big drivers of risk eliminated from the system, including maturity transformation, which is um, the thing that very few people talk about. It's, it's very technical, but it, in essence, it's about banks borrowing short and lending long, which is fine until everybody wants their money back. It's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? There's, there's such, uh, like you say, sort of societal pressures around these things. And actually, to your point, there's, there's such a changing dynamic, really, isn't there? We're seeing, you know, the wholesale regulatory changes. We're seeing technology lowering all these barriers of entry uh, and, and actually the rise of all of these new challenger banks. Um, what do you sort of think about those guys coming in? How, what's your feelings on the, uh, the, the Monzos and the Starlings of the world coming in? And how much impact do you think they'll have? Well, firstly, I applaud um, all of the activity going on to create a better banking system. What we know, again, from other uh, verticals that have been transformed by technology is it's seldom the first thing um, that hits the ball out of the park, right? So Facebook wasn't the first what we call social media site. Google wasn't the first browser. Um, but 
the fact that people are in the space, are experimenting, are learning, are creating knowledge, and that knowledge stacks up on top of each other as the technology continues to evolve, that's all good. I like the neobanks. I happen to be a customer of one of them. I won't say which one it is. Um, it's a pretty good product. I don't think it's transformational, but I think it's a lot better than, than it's available from the big banks. I think the challenger banks have got a really serious role to play. They're different from the neobanks. They have more scale. Um, they often have brands um, that they can leverage to, to play against the big banks. And of course, the, the benefit of incumbency, if you're a big bank, is you've got brand, you've got massive financial resources, you've got millions of customers, and actually regulation has really been your friend, even though you may complain about it because it creates a barrier to entry. Now we're seeing those barriers to entry come down um, because regulators are much more interested in the potential and possibility that be, can be created by, by new entrants. So I think we see across the, the fintech world, really, this sort of explosion of human and financial capital going into the space. And that is inevitably going to accelerate the pace of change. That's got to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Is every neobank going to be successful? Obviously not. But I think it will create momentum for change. We had the CEO of Monzo on a couple of weeks ago, Tom, Tom Blomfield, and he was talking about predominantly about business models, if, in all honesty. The, the functionality is interesting, but the business model is the piece that they're really trying to innovate around. Um, I've, I've seen you spoke a few times actually about the, when there's the choice of the business model or doing the right thing by the customer, there really isn't any choice there. How much do you think that's, I guess, the, the pressure is being sort of turned up, isn't it, on traditional banks to, to make those types of changes, make those tough choices. Can you sort of relate to that? I guess both in terms of what you're doing today and, and equally back into your sort of previous employers as well. I think we're going to see immense pressure on the existing business models for banks, which of course have changed very significantly from the 2008 times anyway, largely because of regulation. Um, but there is now a much greater demand for transparency and there's a much lower tolerance of profits that are made out of inefficiency. So, you know, everybody leaves a lot of money in their current account. Banks make money out of that, right? Not very much, they would say, because interest rates are low, but they still make money out of that. I think increasingly we're going to see pressure on those sorts of things. And one of the problems for banks is their technology does not allow consistency of delivery of products and service because banks operate semi-automated processes where there's a bit of technology, then a human being, then a customer, then a bit more technology. In a world where you can automate everything from the customer through the books and records of the bank and out to the balance sheet of the bank, you can create a much more transparent set of products and services, not only for the customer, but for the bank themselves and for the regulator and society. So we think that Actually, if you look at financial services, in order to create this transformation, there are two things that you really have to understand and master. One is technology, which is the obvious one. And we can talk more about which technologies and you know what's hyped and what's not. But the other and more fundamental issue is data. Because all financial services products are intangible. They are essentially just data. And the ability to handle that data at the right points in time, firstly to automate it um, and then to control it is really where you can squeeze out the inefficiency, the risk, the poor customer outcomes, the slightly broken business models um, that inevitably many banks have operated in the past and some still continue to do. 
What, of course, again, we learn from other verticals is when that happens, the profit pool often shrinks quite dramatically and it doesn't necessarily accrue to the incumbents. So, again, we're really at the start of something here. What I'm increasingly thinking of as um, the end of the beginning of a process of very radical transformation. That's great. And I, you know, I really look forward to seeing uh, the progression with, with 10x in the future. I think it's uh, very exciting times that people like yourself are starting up companies to, to sort of change these things. I guess learning a, a little bit more about your, yourself, obviously you're a, a probably increasingly busy gentleman now with everything that's, that's going on. What's the sort of productivity hack you'd share with us? How do you uh, stay on top of everything that you've got to do? Well, of course, Productivity in this day and age is, I mean, I'm old enough to remember fax machines. Um, so, you know, I go back a long way on this. The, the great thing about our world is that we're uh, connected to everything, but that's also the real challenge. Um, so for me, there's two incredibly important things to drive my personal productivity. One is create some space when you disconnect. And this is a really important thing because it allows me to kind of refresh myself mentally. And I often find that if I've been working on a tricky problem and I can't get the answer, if I give myself a little bit of a break, um, then the answer sort of pops into your head. So having the discipline to say, you know, I'm not going to look at my emails today or for this half day is a really important thing. It's hard, hard, hard to do. I can imagine that's tough. I love you You reeled it back from a day really quickly because I'd start with aspirations of a day and it'd be an hour maybe after doing it. Those those beeps drive you crazy, don't they? I mean, the other thing I'd say is um, it's really important in this, when we're so mentally stimulated all the time, it's really important to make sure you, that you get kind of a, that your physical health is good. And so building time into your schedule to exercise um, in whatever fashion is, you know, people like, whether it's cycling, running, taking classes at the gym, those two things have always been really important to me. So if I, if I can have a bit of downtime um, and if I can exercise, then I find my personal productivity goes up. And sometimes you can combine the two, right? So when you're out running, then you're pretty isolated from the world. It used to be there was only two places that you were really isolated. One was on a plane and the other was when you were running. Now increasingly planes have Wi-Fi. So it's getting harder and harder to, to create that sort of box of, um, of calm and peace that just allows you to recharge. But that's my, that's my secret. We, we always like to ask people this because it's always quite an interesting one to get their, their reflections. But what's the sort of golden rule that you, you work each day on? Yeah, I mean, it's basically treat others as you, as you would wish to be treated. That's what it comes down to, right? I think there's a, there's a very important thing about being human. Um, and that is we, we all share this planet together. We all have an obligation in some way to make it better in whatever capacity we have. And we all have an obligation to each other. Uh, and I think if you try to be a decent person, do the right thing and treat others as you would want to be treated, you won't go far wrong. Sometimes it's not easy, but I think that's how you should live your life. Indeed. Well, it sounds like a, a great one to live by. So thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate you coming in and uh, spending a little bit of time with us. It's a pleasure. So thank you very much to Anthony for, for coming in and talking to us today. Uh, if you like what you've heard, please feel free to give us a five-star review on iTunes. They really help other people find us in terms of what we're doing. So thanks for joining us and speak to you guys soon.